Welcome to CME on ReachMD. This episode is part of our Minute CE curriculum. Prior to beginning the activity, please be sure to review the faculty and commercial support disclosure statements, as well as the learning objectives. So, um, first of all, uh, thank you for the organizing committee for uh, inviting me. I've been tasked um, with talking about screening, diagnosis, and treatment of PHILD. And I'm going to start by saying that pulmonary hypertension is a common and usually under-recognized complication of interstitial lung disease. Uh, the prevalence of PH associated with ILD can range anywhere from 8 to over 60%, and that prevalence is determined a lot by the severity of the underlying ILD with more severe ILD forms of um, having a higher prevalence of uh, pH. The mechanisms leading to pH in this population is poorly understood, although there may be molecular and genetic pathways that are altered. The destruction of the paren uh, lung parenchyma certainly plays a role, but I think hypoxia leading to vasoconstriction is also a very significant contributor to this condition. And P what we know about pH ILD is that it's associated with a reduced, uh, reduced functional capacity, impaired quality of life, and a greater oxygen requirement, and also increased mortality. And until recently, we did not have an evidence-based uh, evidence uh, medication that can alter these patients' uh, symptoms. So when we're talking about screening, I always want to start with the non-invasive testing first. Um, and I think that pulmonary function test and CT of the chest are two tests that are routinely done for patients with ILD, but it can give us a pretty good idea of the physiological and morphological severity of patients with ILD. So patients who may have mild lung disease, um, may have um, an FEC over 70%, and the CT showing mild parenchymal changes, whereas patients with severe lung disease may have an uh, FEC that is less than 70% and more uh, extensive parenchymal changes on CT. So the question is, is there a mismatch between the severity of the lung disease and the patient's symptoms? And if there is, I would encourage you to think about pulmonary hypertension as potentially contributing to the patient's symptoms. The other non-invasive testing that we can easily do in clinic is ordering uh, BNP and anti-pro-BNP levels. Um, BNP levels have been, in a previous study now in the early 2000s, been linked to um, the presence of uh, pulmonary hypertension in patients with uh, chronic lung disease. Um, and particularly, BMP levels were associated with the presence of a mean peer pressure over 35 in this population. And they also predicted one-year mortality. The, the issue that I found is that a normal BMP level may not completely exclude patients with milder forms of pulmonary hypertension. And it also is confounded in patients who have other uh, comorbidities such as left heart disease, including uh, heart failure, which is a pre very prevalent disease. Um, if you continue to suspect pulmonary hypertension, you should always uh, do an echocardiogram. And as Val was mentioning before, um, I, I think that the European guidelines in 2022 did a phenomenal um, job at, at doing a very didactic um, figure and also explaining us the, the very important concept that there is so much more to an echocardiogram than the RVSP. And, and that includes looking at the right ventricular dilation, uh, looking at the presence of RV pressure overload or septal flattening during systole, um, looking at the IBC, whether it's dilated and non-collapsible with respiration, suggesting elevated right atrial pressures, 
Um, something that I find very, very useful when I'm looking at these patient echocardiograms is looking at RVOT Doppler notching and the acceleration time. If there is a presence of a mid-systolic notch or an um, acceleration time that is short, less than 105 milliseconds, this is highly suggestive that the PVR is above usually four to five wood units. Um, but of course, it doesn't rule out when it, they're not there, that they now may be a milder increase in, in PVR. Right ventricular function is very important when assessing these patients. I will urge you, if you can, to look at the images and calculate right ventricular fractional area change, which speaks of a global RV function compared to TAPSI or S-prime that speaks more of a regional right ventricular function and, and, and can have some nuances whether they don't accurately predict um, right ventricular function. Right atrial area, um, when the right atrium is dilated, where it's suggesting that um, the right side of feeling pressures have been elevated for some time. And of course, the uh, presence of uh, pericardial effusion, which is usually a sign that pulmonary hypertension has been there for some time and probably is quite severe. So these are some examples um, that I have to, to show you. So in the, in, the, in the top image, what you're seeing is a very enlarged right ventricle that is um, compressed in the left ventricle, which is on the right side of the image. Um, it's pretty dysfunctional. You're seeing that those tricuspid leaflets just touching at the bare tips. And uh, probably if I put color there, there would be a lot of tricuspid regurgitation. The right atrium is massively dilated. The interatrial septum is bowed, bowing into the left atrium, suggesting that the RA pressure is much higher than the LA pressure. On the bottom image, you will see that the, there is a presence of a pericardial effusion right there. And uh, that interventricular septum is flattened both in systole and diastole, but more pronounced in diastole, you will see that the right ventricle is, is the dominant chamber in, in the heart. This is the RVOT uh, Doppler envelope, and what you will see is that uh, the acceleration time is very short. The time from onset of systole to peak of systole is very short. And also there's presence of this uh, notch in the middle of the RVOT Doppler, which is suggestive of elevated pulmonary vascular resistance. And the other thing that I'll always encourage you to do is to try to look at the echocardiograms uh, with your own eyes as much as you can. Um, this is an example of a very poor TR jet signal that should not be used to calculate RVSPN. A lot of times, you know, we, we, this ended up being reported uh, in, in, the, in the echocardiogram report in the conclusions, and, and this is something that we should try to avoid to do. So the diagnosis uh, of pulmonary hypertension requires a right heart catheterization. I will emphasize over and over and over uh, that zeroing is the most critical part of a right heart catheterization. Um, I always tell the fellows that rotate with me through the cath lab to, to do it yourself, uh, because that way you, you know that it's being done consistently on every patient. Um, the, the other uh, point of debate with the right heart catheterizations in patients with significant parenchymal disease is, is how to acquire that, um, those measurements. Um, there's a school of thought that uh, suggests that we should measure always at end expiration. Um, the problem is that patients with interstitial lung disease have increased variation in the intrathoracic pressures, and that can lead to um, an underestimation of an average uh, pressure. And the uh, six-oral symposium at least suggested 
that we should try to use the, the average approach. Um, but this is a, a, a topic that I have not seen much research about, and, and maybe this is something that will, will be investigated in, in the near future. So these are some of the definitions that we use to diagnose um, uh, patients with ILD. Patients without uh, pulmonary hypertension are those who have a mean PA pressure less than 21, or a pressure within between 21 and 24 with a PVR that is below 3 wood units. ILD with mild pH is uh, th those patients who have a mean PA between 21 and 24 with a PVR over 3, or a mean PA pressure um, between 25 and 34. In patients with severe ILD and severe pulmonary hypertension are those who have a mean PA pressure over 35, or a mean PA pressure over 25 with a cardiac index that is less than 2, or um, a PVR more than five wood units. And I put that PVR comment there in red because this is not from the Six World Symposium who, which initially suggested the, the, these definitions, but rather from the European guidelines uh, from last year um, who are uh, incentivizing us to use PVR as a cutoff for severity of pH in ILD patients. So I want to also put into perspective that pulmonary hypertension and uh, parenchymal lung disease, they occur in a wide variety, across a wide variety of a spectrum. And, um, and, and we need to be very sure about uh, who are the patients that we're treating. Um, we, uh, in 2023, at least at this point, I think that patients who, uh, whose predominant feature is emphysema and they have pulmonary hypertension, this should not be the, the target, the focus of our um, treatment efforts. And I think we should definitely focus on those patients who have fibrosis and in some degree of, of a pulmonary vasculopathy. Uh, patients who have ILD um, and they don't have pH, which are in, in general the majority of patients, they're not going to be our focus. This is, I think, where we should focus our effort because these are probably the the under-recognized patients, those who have non-severe pH, they represent about 20% of the patients who have ILD. And these should be treated as pH-ILD patients, as I will show in a little bit. Um, and the severe pH patients, um, and I will suggest those who have very advanced hemodynamics and a right ventricle, um, which is dilated and dysfunctional, as I showed you before, um, we should be thinking that the predominant feature here is a pulmonary vascular disease and not a parenchymal lung disease. And, and we should be treating them a little bit different, and I'll show you in a second. So if I want to summarize a little bit how to uh, screen for, patient, uh, for pulmonary hypertension in ILD patients, um, I'll show you this figure, which I think it nicely reflects the effort of uh, a recent consensus by 16 pulmonologists and pulmonary hypertension experts. Um, who had to sit down and through various survey, surveys have to agree on what would be a reasonable uh, way of screening these patients since there's not uh, a lot of evidence on how to, we should proceed. And some of the testing that you should consider is using pulmonary function tests. Uh, a, a very dramatically decreased DLCO should, should um, catch your attention, um, and especially those patients who have an FEC um, and over a DLCO ratio uh, above 1.6, indicating that the DLCO is disproportionately low compared to the FEC. When you order a CT scan, you can also look at uh, right ventricular dilation, uh, especially if you have contrast and uh, pulmonary artery dilation as, um, as indirect signs of pulmonary hypertension. 
Uh, when you assess their oxygenations, those patients who have oxygen requirements uh, should uh, raise your suspicion. Um, and those patients who have symptoms or a six-minute walk test is disproportionately low to the degree of parenchymal lung disease. And of course, uh, looking at your BNP and NT per BNP, all those tests should, should, should generate some degree of suspicion, whether it's high, low, or no suspicion at all. And if you have any degree of suspicion, you should always proceed to an echocardiogram, which again, by looking at all the variables that uh, we reviewed recently, should, should create another degree of suspicion and lead you to a right heart catheterization. So I have uh, an example here. I have two patients to, to show to you, and, uh, and I think in a way they're very similar, but in, in some other ways they're very different. So patient A and patient B have both uh, WHO functional class, three symptoms. Uh, Patient A has an FEC of 30%, and as you can see, very extensive parenchymal changes, uh, uh, including interstitial lung disease and fibrosis. Uh, patient B has an FEC of 75%, with more subtle changes on the CT scan. The echocardiogram, so patient A has a uh, more normal right ventricle, uh, maybe mildly dilated and maybe mildly dysfunctional. Um, but patient B has a more significant degree of right ventricular dilation and dysfunction, which, um, which is out of proportion to the degree of um, parenchymal lung disease. Uh, patient A has a mean PA pressure of 30, a PVR of 4, and a cardiac index of 2.6, whereas patient B has a mean PA pressure of 45, a PVR of 9, and a cardiac index of 1.9. So I think that the diagnosis that I would give each one of these patients to patient A, I would call this um, PHILD. Um, and patient B, I would probably call this patient pulmonary arterial hypertension because the predominant feature here is the, the pulmonary vascular disease. So this is uh, an article that I found very interesting um, in, in and thought-provoking and also um, kind of increase my awareness about uh, how important it is to diagnose and treat pulmonary hypertension in patients with interstitial lung disease. This is a retrospective analysis of 317 patients from 12 centers uh, in Europe. And they took patients with chronic lung disease that were, they were classified as having no pulmonary hypertension, borderline pulmonary hypertension, mild to moderate pulmonary hypertension, or severe pulmonary hypertension. And on the left, you're going to see patients with uh, COPD. You will see that um, most patients, which are these three bars here, have a, a, a relatively good overall survival. But this, this line, which has uh, a very dramatically different prognosis, and these are the patients who have severe uh, pulmonary hypertension. Whereas when you look at patients on the right graph, you will see that the overall survival is very different in ILD patients compared to uh, COPD. And this blue line here, which are the patients who have a better prognosis, are those who have no pulmonary hypertension at all, compared to even patients who have borderline pulmonary hypertension, their survival is dramatically affected and impacted by pulmonary vascular disease. So the treatment of pulmonary hypertension uh, associated with ILD should include treating the ILD, and treating the pulmonary hypertension. And treating the ILD, you should always think about assessing and correcting low oxygenation. You should uh, use non-invasive -inva ventilation if that's needed, enrollment in pulmonary rehabilitation, and now with the advancement of antifibrotic medications, that should be also uh, highly considered. And when you treat pulmonary hypertension, I will suggest that we should uh, try to use 
um, in healthcare processing in, in, in all the patients that, that uh, meet criteria for the use of it. And I will even venture to say that we should consider the use of uh, phosphodiesterase inhibitors in, in, in this group. You may all be familiar with the uh, data from the INCREASE trial, which was a phase three clinical trial assessing uh, inhaltroprostenol versus placebo in a, within 16 weeks. Um, and the primary endpoint was the change in six minute walk distance. And as you can see on the graph, the, the curve here in red uh, is the, the group that was on inhaltroprostenol. There was a very early increase in the six minute walk distance that was sustained over those 16 weeks compared to placebo patients who very early on started to have a decline in uh, functional capacity. Um, this is the data of the secondary endpoints, and both secondary endpoints were met. The change in NT-proBNP levels at 16 week was significantly lower in the PH-ILD group that was treated with uh, inhaled chaprosinil. And the occurrence of a clinical worsening event, which included hospitalizations, uh, decreasing six-minute walk distance by 15%, death or lung transplantation was also significantly lower in patients with, uh, who were receiving inhaled chaprosinil. So what I find more, more interesting um, is that in the data from uh, the open label extension uh, portion of increase, um, the, there's a really nice graph about the occurrence of um, a worsening, a clinical worsening event. And I'll show you here in, in green, you have patients who were initially on inhaled chaprosinil and then continued to, during the open label extension period on increased uh, inhaled chaprosinil. The initial slope is very steep, but very early on, it kind of stabilizes and it's a little bit more flat. Whereas patients who were on placebo initially, that slope is very steep and continued to be very steep, um, and it starts to get a little bit more flat only when they transition to inhaled chaprosinil. So sildenafil or no sildenafil, that, that, that is a question. Um, I, my argument is that we should be using these medications when clinically indicated, especially in those who have a higher pulmonary vascular resistance, who have a higher degree of pulmonary hypertension. This is data from um, the STEP-IPF trial that was a randomized double-blinded clinical trial using uh, sildenafil versus placebo. In 180 patients who have ILD, please note that there was no inclusion criteria for the presence of pulmonary hypertension. And what they showed is that there was no difference in the primary endpoint uh, between placebo and sildenafil. But there was an improvement in secondary endpoints such as dyspnea and quality of life, and there was no signal of harm. So I, I think that uh, being this, this is a medication that probably doesn't have a deleterious effect in, in, IP, uh, in ILD patients, we should be considering of using it in selected, in selected patients. On the contrary, I think we should be very careful when prescribing rheosiguin in patients who have PHILD, um, since this medication in a, a phase two clinical trial show significant harm and increased mortality in patients who had who were receiving um, rheosiguat compared to placebo. So conclusions, uh, PH is a serious comorbidity complicating in interstitial lung disease and is associated with worsened prognosis. The screening of PH in patients with ILD is very reasonable and should include testing such as pulmonary function tests, CT scans, oxygenation, and six-minute walk distance. 
BNP or NT prone BNP levels and an echocardiogram. A right heart catheterization is needed to make the right diagnosis and re-stratify these patients. And heltroprosinol is the only current FDA-approved medication, and we should consider using it in patients who have uh, pulmonary hypertension with ILD. I will also add that a methodical follow-up is crucial in understanding how these patients progress and how we titrate the medications, which is a very crucial part of the, the treatment of these patients. So thank you very much. You've been listening to CME on ReachMD. This activity is jointly provided by Global Learning Collaborative, GLC, and Total CME LLC, and is part of our Minute CE curriculum. To receive your free CME credit or to download this activity, go to reachmd.com slash CME. Thank you for listening.